Blog Talk Radio. Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Victoria, and I'm your host for this evening, and my co-host is Annie. We are on scan number 3272. I'm excited to introduce to you our special guest this evening. However, first, I'd like to tell you that we have a single purpose here at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. And number two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we are on scan number 3272, and if you'd like to be a part of the panel this evening, please call 646-595-2118, and my co-host, Annie, will meet you on the back line and ask if you'd like to ask a question or have anything to say. We'd love to have you join us and support our guests, and we have the show uh, Monday through Friday nights at the same time. And uh, we hope that the people that um, hear our shows would uh, come back on and uh, be part of uh, our conversations here. And our special guest this evening is Cherie White from Covington, uh, Tennessee, um, an anti-bullying advocate and author of three books who uses her own story of being bullied and gaslighted to help those enduring the same abuse today. In sixth grade, I began a long lesson, she says, in human predator-prey dynamic and a battle for my dignity, safety, and my very soul. At first, she took the physical beatings, name-calling, and abuse. Cherie was a victim of what is called polyvictimization. In just six months, she went from being a kid who always made the honor roll to an anger and bitter girl who made only C's and D's. Who could concentrate on schoolwork, she asked. Cherie attempted suicide at the age of 14 because I felt powerless 
began to bully those who were even weaker than me in attempts to grab back some of my power. So on these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts, survivor professionals, will assist in fielding questions and lay a variety of topics suggested by you, our call and participants. And this trauma-informed perspectives as survivor professionals will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality. That springs from questions and topics brought to you by our listeners. Everyone's invited to engage on tonight's show. And please visit the nasca.org website, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot org. We have uh, about 42 programs that, um, that help survivors. And again, like I said, um, anyone interested in uh, um, any of the uh, ways that you can help adult survivors or children because um, child abuse is every adult issue and we need to protect all the children. We have no throwaway children in this world. Every adult is responsible for every child, we believe, and whether um, legally we consider morally that that be the, the way it should be. So, like I said, our special guest is Cherie, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Great. And uh, so, yeah, Annie's I was, on too. I was, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just want to say Annie's on too. Hello, Annie. Hi. Hello, everybody. Hello, Annie. And How Philip are you is, doing? Philip is here with us too. Great. Hello, everybody. Hey, Philip. Nice, nice that you could come on. Good and Cherie, which is like to go on with the topic you were yes uh i uh I, i've had brain fog so i haven't been able to come up with a topic this week okay. so i'll probably make this like a q and a night uh yeah. basically whoever calls in can ask questions and i'll be happy to answer them if any of you need also need have a question i'll be glad to answer it uh-huh. Okay, so, I we'll, I actually was wondering because you had mentioned gaslighting in in your bio, and I just wanted to write a, read a little bit about gaslighting, lighting, what it is, and how to know it's happening to you. Um, the word gaslighting has been used a lot, and it's um, it's kind of out there, but as far as the description, a lot of people don't really because it says gaslighting is more than just a trendy buzzword. The concept has been around for decades, and mental health experts say it's a psychological phenomenon that has seri- that can have serious emotional implications and even destroy relationships. Um, awareness of what it is and when it's happening is really important. Um, a clinical psychologist and owner of intentional activities, a motivational accounting uh, private practice. Gaslighting is finally getting the much-needed attention that it deserves in terms of awareness as a legitimate form of abuse that can lead to severe mental health concerns. Um, Though psychologists and other mental health professionals are now studying and talking about the term in academic and clinical settings, researchers have acknowledged that the word itself comes from the 1938 
play titled Gaslight, which in 1904 was made in the British film Gaslight about a husband who attempts to make his wife go crazy by insisting she is hallucinating and imagining things. And um, it talks about, um, more recently, the term gaslighting comes up in conversations around various forms of subtle trauma and manipulation. The word gaslight lighting was selected um, as a Merriam-Webster's Word of the Year for 2022. Here's what you should know about the word means, how to recognize what's happening to you or someone you know, and how to handle a situation if someone is gaslighting uh, you or someone that you care about. So a little bit of a definition, as most people have been there. You walk away from a conversation feeling that something about the interaction seems um, disingenuous, I don't know that word, and did not sit well with you. That's basically what it means. For example, you ex- uh, respectfully and privately share your with your supervisor that you felt like they took credit for your work during a team meeting. They apologize, but then begin to defend themselves and suggest that you misunderstood them or you are being overly sensitive. Or you know that someone manipulated you into agreeing with them. This could look like confronting your partner about um, you feeling like they've been avoiding conversations with you and instead of addressing your concerns, they leave you feeling that you're not um, respecting your partner's personal time. According to the American Psychological Association, gaslighting is a form of emotional and psychological manipulation that involves a person attempting to coerce another person into doubting their own accurate observations, perspectives, and reality. This can, in turn, lead the person who is being gaslit to question attributes about themselves, including their character, memory, and, in more extreme cases, their sanity. And... um, in simplest terms, gaslighting is the act of manipulating someone's reality. The National Domestic Abuse Hotline defines gaslighting as a highly effective form of emotional abuse um, that gives the gaslighter a certain amount of power and control over the gaslit person. And so I'm going to stop right there, and there's a bunch of um, types that I can go into, but I was wondering if that... Uh, definition right there resonates with anybody. Uh, definitely, I'm, you know, I've been gaslighted. I can't tell. I can't tell you how many times. And, um, you know, back. Uh, in fact, my back when I was young, people gaslighted me all the time. And I, the truth is, I didn't know how to defend against that. Mhm. You know, I was young and just had not learned how to defend against that. And I think part of the part of the way we defend against that is to know what it is and give it a name. Because without right. a, if if you can't give something a name, then it's it's harder to it's harder to explain and and describe. So when mm-hmm. when I first heard the term gaslighting and found out what it was, I thought, wow, you know, now yeah. I am able to to tell my story and uh, mm-hmm. and make it more believable because 
anytime you don't know what something is, you know something is happening, but you don't know what it is and you can't put a name to it. And when you can't put a name to it, when you try to explain it to somebody, you, you have a tendency to ramble. Yeah. And when you ramble, it, it it only makes the story not believable. Even though right. you you are in fact telling the truth, if you start if you ramble about it, it's people are just going to look at you like like you're crazy and or you're lying. One yeah. of the two. Mhm. And a lot of times, continue gaslighting you. <laughs> you're too emotional. Right. You know. Um, I don't know how many so, times I heard exactly. that right now. Yeah. And and it, that makes, in that, it makes it a lot easier for them to gaslight you. Right. And, again, then you go back to not knowing how to take care of yourself. And for me, I was not taught that, how to take care of right. myself at all. You know, it's just like when they came up with the term date rape. I mean, I'd never heard that before. I mean, it had happened to me, and I didn't even really think about it, you know, until they came up with the term date rape. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, did I have um, any any uh, relationship that wasn't that, <laughs> you know, because I just I didn't know how to have healthy relationships. Right. So, any well, you know, Would once you like someone to... has – oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, once somebody – if somebody has lived their whole life being abused, they're not going to know how to have a healthy relationship because they don't have an example from which to draw by, you know? Right, especially if nobody helped them. I mean, if somebody can intervene – you know, like um, say a child is being abused and, and you know, gets the help they need and, and sees the therapist and stuff and you're getting healthy information is a whole lot different exactly. than, you know, like I was uh, on MySpace, I'm dating myself, and I was in a group for survivors of abuse of incest and I had one lady that kept asking me questions and that was back when people really didn't know how to search stuff and she kept asking me, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? And so I was searching things for her and sending her links. And then I didn't hear from her for a long time. And then all of a sudden she wrote to me, and I still get a frog in my throat over this. Uh, she wrote back to me and said, I really want to thank you for sharing your story and all the information you give me, you gave me, because my four-year-old granddaughter will never be molested by her father again. And it just was like, wow. That's when I realized I needed to start telling my story and, and help people on a larger platform, you know. Wow. And uh, I thought back when I was four years old, if somebody had intervened and protected me, how different my life would have been. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, you know. because then they would have taught you that that mm-hmm. you were violated and it was wrong mm-hmm. and and, right. and and granted they might have been able to you know uh oh how how can I put it? Hold on. 
I know mm-hmm. the, I know what I want to say. You might have been mm-hmm. able to unlearn all of those mm-hmm. unhealthy patterns and beliefs that mm-hmm. you were conditioned to have. Understand that any yeah. form of abuse, whether it's bullying, whether it's physical abuse or sexual abuse, mm-hmm. it has a conditioning power. It conditions you. Mm-hmm to accept what is happening to you and to think that that stuff is okay. Mm-hmm. Or it's your fault. Even verbal even no. verbal abuse has a conditioning yep. power. And verbal mm-hmm. abuse conditions you. Any yep. abuse is going to condition you to think that, you know, after it happens repeatedly for so long, you are conditioned to think, that that it's it's not that's not wrong that 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 mm-hmm. kind of stuff is okay. Yeah. Well, I thought it was wrong, but I also felt like I brought it on myself. You know. Um, right. That that's I somehow another this bad person because people used to say good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So I thought right. well, I must have been a bad baby. Um, or this abuse wouldn't have started when I was an infant, you know. So I just kind of internalized some stuff without really investigating it, you know. And I had to do a whole lot of reparenting of myself um, in my recovery. Right. You know, you had to unlearn a lot of that Mm -hmm. negative stuff, and you had to relearn all of yeah. the healthy stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And identify what my belief system was because of what I went through. You know? Right. Um, and, and that takes a lot of work. You know? Um, yes, a lot it of does. And it's work. also very time-consuming. It, You know, it yeah. can... When you've been conditioned a certain way, undoing mm-hmm. that can take years. It could take a yeah. lot of years. It's a lot of... It's very time-consuming. Yeah. Well, I was 21 when I got in therapy, and I, I, I said, I'm going to give myself at least 21 years, you know, <laughs> to undo <Right>. it. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm 61, and I'm still undoing it, you know. Right. It, it can take a lifetime. It, it can take a lifetime. Yeah. Well, people ask me if I feel that I'm healed, and I said, I'll be healing till I take my last breath because – Part of healing is changing and growing, right. you know, and, and I want to continue changing and growing. And, and right. some people are just fine with the way things are and going along. But for me, it's really important to continue in therapy and to continue, you know, um, not going over the same thing, but, but there's layers for me. At, right. And like with physical abuse, you know, somebody punches you and you get a black eye or somebody breaks your arm or whatever. It's a physical thing. You can look in the mirror and say, you know, there's my black eye, there's my broken arm, whatever, you know. Um, With the emotional and psychological abuse and all that trauma, you really have to do a lot of psychological and internal stuff, you know, that that isn't apparent. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, and and so gaslighting, um, you know, when somebody, you know, um, denies even the fact saying that you're too emotional 
or one of the things that I hear a lot is get off your pity pot. Oh, I hate that. And another oh, thing yeah. is calm down. Calm down. I tell you what, never in the history of somebody saying calm down to somebody calm down. <laughs> when somebody tells me calm down, I reply, don't you think if I could have calmed down, I wouldn't have already done it? <laughs> Why? You know? And that's right. my response to that. So I have workers and they, they you know, the the staff that's interviewing me before I go to work will say, you know, um, do you have anything that really triggers you or upsets you when somebody says it? And the first thing I come up with, don't tell me to calm down. <laughs> because usually right. if I'm bringing something up and I'm really verbal and getting worked up about it, it's something I have to go. Right. And, you know, that can now, be if a I'm form of gaslighting, that's, that's a different story. Yeah. Yeah, that can be a form of gaslighting, too, especially if you are, you know, if you are righteously anger, angry, if somebody has really done you wrong and you are mm-hmm. telling them about it, they can also tell mm-hmm. you to calm down. Even when you are telling them, even when you are yeah. not, uh, say, screaming and yelling and you're just telling them what they, mm-hmm. what you did to me was wrong and I don't like it, they'll come back and tell you to calm down and yeah that that would that would kind of tick me off too because mm-hmm. that yeah. can be a form of gaslighting it isn't all always but can uh-huh. be a form of gaslighting right depending on the context in which it's used yeah yeah and and it was kind of like that what it said like when you walk away you kind of feel you know you kind of have those feelings like uh, I'm being stifled or, you know, they're trying to make me look crazy, bad, like I don't know what's going on. And I felt that right. so much in my life. And I I started calling myself crazy. And I had a friend that said, right, because, you're not crazy. You're, what was done to you was crazy. You just reacted normally to all these crazy situations you were put in. Right, and, and you know, uh, the acting crazy, that is definitely gaslighting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Philip, would you like to join in the conversation or questions? Um, I have I have a couple questions for the guests. Okay, go, go right ahead. Um, have you ever done any volunteer work? I have actually. I've I've volunteered at a hospital a few times. Uh, I I haven't done it in a while. It's been a few years. In fact, it's been about fifteen years. But I did volunteer at a hospital okay. one year. And then how do you how do you uncondition? What were you finished? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was finished. Okay. How would you uncondition yourself from physical and verbal abuse? I think that uh, if if it is severe, if it is really, if it is really messed with you, I would say to, uh, first thing to do is to 
get therapy. And I'm talking about counseling. It does not have to be medication. You can get some counseling, talk to a counselor or a qualified psychologist. You know, I get therapy. therapy but from, it's, uh, just a regular therapist from the county, does that count? Uh, what was that now? Does a regular mental health therapist from the county count, or does it have to be somebody who's trained in abuse? Uh, it can be either one. Uh, I would prefer someone who is trained in abuse. Okay. Because if they are, if they specialize in that, then then they're going to know how to to better teach you how to identify abuse and how to know when it's happening and even know when it's coming. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, Philip, for me, when I was um, first started in therapy, um, I started with a, um, a support group and stuff, and it was it was kind of difficult because they were not trained about abuse, and when I would share things that I had went through, um, they kind of um, poo-pooed it, you know, and and uh, uh, went by it. When I started getting a therapist that actually knew of the abuse, um, she gave me more um, uh, support. And also um, a big thing about getting therapy that a lot of people have a hard time with is telling what really happened, you know. Um, I kind of glossed over things, you know, because I didn't want people to see that in my family. But that's weird, but that's how I felt. Um, And when I finally began to be honest about certain things that happened, and the more you find out about abuse, like gaslighting, emotional abuse, things like that, you're more able to talk about it. Like Sharia is saying, exactly. if we got names or information. Um, so I encourage people to continue to um, get information, but also right. the process, it helps to have a therapist. Right. Another thing I would suggest, Philip, is to read about, uh, read books about uh, uh Read books about abusive people and how to spot abuse. Uh, for instance, I read I've read a book called the the emotionally abusive partner, uh, the verbally abusive partner. I've also read uh, books about um, how to recognize gaslighting, how to recognize abuse. Uh, books on bullying, how to spot it, how to know when it's happening. And it, um, it takes a long, you know, it may take a while for you to learn. I've been researching and reading about, you know, the authoritarian personality. That's a bully. That's a bully. Uh, reading about, uh, like, cases uh, of domestic abuse. Read psychology books about abusive people because they're going to tell you 
the tactics they use against their victims um, or targets, rather, um, you're going to learn so much. I've been reading about this these things for almost 30 years. So, and and it I wish I wish I knew when I was young what I know now because I could have saved myself a lot of trouble and it's one of the reasons I don't get bullied anymore. They people may try mm-hmm. it but they learn real quick I'm not the one because I can, I know mm-hmm. what they're doing. I recognize it because I I dealt with it so many times when I was young. And I've read I've read a a ton of books on the abusive personality, the authoritarian personality. And what I want you to realize is this. Abuse is about power, nothing else. Any time somebody abuses you, it's because they want power. They want the power to tell you what to do, the power to decide how you're going to feel about yourself. Abuse is all about power. Nothing else. Yeah. Um, that was the emotionally abusive partner and the verbally abusive partner. Yes. I've uh I've read uh that was one of the books that I read. Let me let's see, I need to go through my books, but I'm afraid if I go in that on that part of the house we're gonna drop signal. Hmm. Okay, I no want to share something that I started reading. Um, it's it's you know like I don't know if you know, but AA has what they call a big book. Uh-huh. Um, not just come up, but I just got a book called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, and they have what they call the line list, and this is 14 traits of an adult child. So this could be dysfunctional families, abusive uh, parents, abusive families, and family systems. Right. So one. We became isolated and afraid of people and authority figures. Two, we became approval seekers and lost our identity in the process. Three, we are frightened of angry people and any personal criticisms. Four, we either become alcoholics, marry them, or both, or find another compulsive personality, such as a workaholic, to fulfill our sick abandonment needs. Five, we live life from the viewpoint of victims and are attracted by that weakness in our love and friendship relationships. Six, we have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, and it is easier for us to be concerned with others rather than ourselves. This enables us not to look too closely at our own faults and our own, you know, good qualities. Seven, we get guilt feelings when we stand up for ourselves instead of giving in to others. Eight, we become addicted to excitement. Nine, we confuse love and pity and tend to love people we can pity or rescue. Ten, we have stuffed our feelings from our traumatic childhood and have lost the ability to feel or express our feelings because it hurts too much, or that is also defined as denial. Eleven, we judge ourselves harshly and have a very low sense of self-esteem. Twelve, we are dependent personalities who are terrified of abandonment and will do anything to hold on to relationships in order not to experience painful abandonment feelings, uh, which are received for living with sick people who were never there emotionally for us. 
13, alcoholism is a family disease, and so is dysfunctional families. When we become para-alcoholics and took on the characteristics of that disease, even though we did not pick up the drink. 14, para-alcoholics are reactors rather than actors. And uh, I've been uh, involved in uh, ACA since um, I was 21 years old. And I uh, got a lot out of it um, because it um, is um, it was very helpful to me. And there are ACA meetings. And the thing is, is that like with NASA, um, we give all different kinds of resources because different things work for different people. You know, you might go to something that someone recommends and you might go, well, this is not for me. But, you know, I tell people, you know, give it a fair try. You know, <laughs> you know, don't right. just go one meeting and go, this ain't, this ain't for me. And uh, <clears throat> like uh, I also go to Ellen and they say, try uh, six meetings. And I usually tell people, you know, try some, if the one doesn't fit, you know, there's all kinds, there's meetings everywhere. Not all of them function the same way. Not all of them have the same people in them. So, of course, the dynamics is going to be a little bit differently. But um, find something that that fits for you. But the big thing about uh, therapy is that these people, therapists are trained. Um, and if you get somebody that, like Bill says, trauma-informed is good, but trauma-educated is better. <laughs> you know, like we said, get right. a trauma-informed therapist. But we need somebody that's educated in trauma and how, you know, uh, a person and how a person um, needs to change if they want to. And that's another whole part piece of this is that if you want to change, and sometimes your life gets so uncomfortable that you seek help. And right. uh, hopefully that your life doesn't have to be so uncomfortable that you seek out help and you realize that, you know, give yourself permission um, to get help be able to say, I need help, or, you know, I want to feel better. Um, I don't want to live this way anymore because that's what I had to do. I had to say, survival is not enough. I want more than survival because that's all I was doing with surviving moment to moment. I wanted to feel better. You know, I wanted to live a life that I didn't have, and I have a life that I could have never dreamed of today, but it was a lot of work. That it is. I will definitely, I'll, I'll agree to that. It is, it, it is probably the hardest work ever. Yeah, and it's exhausting too. Um, people, exactly. you know, will say, "Well, I went to therapy, and you know, I, I did a little bit of housework, but I'm so exhausted." And I said, when I went right. to therapy, working a physical job wasn't as exhausting as as the work I was doing in therapy. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, and not not only that, it's exhausting because it's ongoing. A lot of times it's ongoing. Right. I mean, there's no end to it. Yeah. I used to tell my, my sponsor, you know, I'm going five steps forward, three steps back, two steps forward, one step back. She says, yeah, but you're still going forward, <laughs> you know. Because it Absolutely. feels like that sometimes. It feels like I'm right back where I was before, but you're really not because you learned a whole lot along the way. 
Exactly. Ooh. Annie, are you still there? Would you like to add anything to the conversation? I'm still here. I would I would like to comment about the program ACA, the adult children of alcoholics and other dysfunctional families. And I was involved in that program for many years. I'm not currently, but that's just because I'm not doing uh, recovery program work right now. That's all. I thought ACA was really wonderful for me because it pointed out all these all these symptoms I had that I thought were just me being a, a horrible person that were in fact symptoms of child abuse. They were caused by child abuse. And that okay. other people like me who had been abused had the same symptoms. And it, it was such an eye opener to me. The the book, their book is called the Red Book, that's what they call it. Um was so informative to me about it not being my fault. It wasn't my fault, and I always thought it was. Isn't that a big guy? Big awareness right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to say about, about therapists, too. You were talking about therapists, and it took me a long time to find anybody who wasn't shocked by what I had to say. You know, they just weren't ready to deal with that and didn't deal, didn't help me, didn't help me. I I ended up leaving them every time. And then finally I found a therapist who was an expert in codependency. And he saw that that was my problem in continuing abuse was that I was codependent. And so I learned all about that, and he helped me greatly. And also he was a cognitive behavioral therapist, which I don't really know what that means. I just know that was what he was doing with me. And uh, and I still occasionally go and see him or or do a phone one because um, it's just good, solid guidance, I guess I would say. Like instead of my doing something that might end up harming me, I I run it by him and he'll say, well, this is, you know, what's going to happen. Oh, okay, I didn't look all the way through and see what was going to happen. So in a way, it's an advisor, you know, somebody to think more clearly than I think. Um, So that's all. Thank you. Are you there? I don't think I can hear anybody. I'm here. I was yeah, just I'm saying here. thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're thank very you. welcome. Yeah. No, I yeah. had. I think I had lost y'all for a little bit. Oh, that could be. We're here. Yeah, I think um, what you were mentioning about a therapist too is, you know, sometimes we grow beyond the therapist as well. You know, we might go for a while right. and we're getting a lot out of it, and all of a sudden we feel like. You know, I'm just really not getting any more out of this. And, you know, um, it doesn't mean that we're not, you know, wanting to grow or anything. It's just that we outgrow things. You know, like you were saying, mm-hmm. ACA helped you for a while. And then you went on to something else, Annie. You know, and that's mm-hmm. the thing that, you know, we can keep seeking out new things. 
you know, if if it doesn't feel like it fits anymore, you might have gone to it for a long time or take a break. You know, I've taken a break from therapy before, too, you know, because I just needed to take a breath here and there, you know, and, and just, right. you know, get away from it for a little while. And that's okay. You know, we're all individuals, and we got to trust ourselves and our body and our, you know, our feelings. I didn't even know what feelings were when I first got sober. I started having all these feelings, and I felt like, you know, like a pop bottle that somebody was shaking up my whole life, and I was afraid to open that, you know, cover because I was afraid that, you know, it would all that feelings were just splurred all over the place, and sometimes it did happen, <laughs> you know. But um, right. I learned, uh, you know, uh, better ways of dealing with things. Um, I learned, you know, new coping skills that I had never had. Um, and when I people look at, you know, say the big book or 12 steps in some sorts, you know, and they call them character defects, and I'm working with a survivor, I tell them to go through the whole book, cross out character defects, and write coping mechanisms. Because so these are the things that helped us survive. And we have to stop blaming ourselves for what we did to survive. Absolutely. Yeah, so redefining some of the stuff for ourselves, you know. And I went to a, um, a group for uh, sexual assault victims at Rape and Sexual Abuse Center here in Minneapolis. And they said rape was unwanted sex. And that it doesn't, you don't have to say no, you don't have to push somebody off. Um, just in your mind, if you didn't want it, you know, it's rape. And I kind of went to myself, did I ever want it, you know, because of all the bad relationships I had. And I always felt like that was just something I had to do. I, I never felt like I was a willing participant, you know, and when I've been in a healthy relationship, you know, it was very, very difficult because right. I didn't really know how to, how to act in it, you know. And I tested him a lot, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, I put him through these different tests that he didn't know he was taking. <laughs> you know, um, geez, I wonder if I do this, believe me, you know. But I ended up going in the psychiatric ward, and uh, he was there all the time for me. Um, even when I got locked up in the state um, hospital, psychiatric hospital, he was coming on the weekends bringing my kids, giving me money for the canteen, bringing me cigarettes, I smoked, and um, telling me that I was going to get out of there, you know, and telling me I wasn't crazy and I was going to get out of there. And uh, I didn't believe I was. I could say, no, I'm fine here. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but I did. He ended up going to my my hearing after six months, that was a commitment time. And they said, well, you know, and they were bringing up all the stuff that happened before. And he said, okay, all that happened before the commitment. What is going on now? Is she doing any of those things? Well, no. And then he said, well, she doesn't need to be in here then. And I got out. <laughs> but had I been there myself and nobody advocating for me, I'd probably still be in there. Right. So asking asking for help is a big, big thing. Having somebody in your life that's advocating for you, you know, can be a big, big help. 
And sometimes we do. We have to ask. Like when I was involved with the county and had social services and stuff, you know, um, they had put me with child protection because I said, I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt my children. I need help, you know. And um, it ended up that I finally decided I placed my kids in foster care. But I had to beg them to help me, you know. I had to say, I really need your help. <laughs> and most people were like, why would you put your kids in foster care? And I said, well, I wasn't the mom I wanted to be, and I wasn't the mom they deserved to help. And I recognized that. And right. then I was going to AA, and people are like, oh, you're doing so much better. Now are you getting back? And I said, no, my kids are doing fine where they're at. They're stable, you know. And I was shunned by a lot of people that couldn't understand why I was saying that, you know. Why wouldn't the mother right. want to get their kids well, I didn't know whether I'd be back in the psych ward and they'd be bouncing around in foster care again. wasn't fair to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though people aren't understanding what motivates you, you don't have to explain to anybody why you're doing That's wrong. You know, yeah, you don't have to justify it. I always thought I had to justify it. But, you know, in my heart and, you know, if you guys sit long enough and figure out, you know, what's in your heart. Um, sometimes you just go through life, just crazy going through life, and you really don't time, take time to sit and listen to what our soul or heart or whatever you want to call it, inner self, is saying. And sometimes it's the right. child that's saying, hey, I need this. I need to have some fun. You know, I haven't really had fun my whole life, so let's go have fun, you know, and then to try to figure out what to do to have fun. And I I sometimes just go to the park and swing on swings, you know. And I don't care who's looking at me or what anybody thinks. I want to swing. <laughs> right. Ain't nothing wrong with it. No. No. So where do we want to go from here? Still got 45 minutes. Does anybody else have a topic they want to bring up or continue out of anything we talked about? I have, I have some well, topics. I have I'm, topics. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Um, journaling prompts. Does anybody have any good ideas for journaling prompts? I have a couple. Okay, let's hear yours first. Um, okay. So there's 10 of them. And... Uh, what emotions am I currently experiencing and how would I describe them? That's the first one. Second one is what are the main thoughts or concerns that have been occupying my mind lately? Third one is what are some challenges or obstacles I'm facing right now and how do they make me feel? The fourth one is what are my top priorities or goals at this moment in my life and how do I plan to achieve them? The fifth one is reflecting on current experiences, what viable lessons have I learned and how can I apply them moving forward? The sixth one is are there any recurring patterns or habits in my life that I would like to change or improve? How can I work towards that? The seventh, what brings me joy and fulfillment? How can I incorporate more of these activities or experiences into my life? Number eight, are there any relationships in my life that need attention or nurturing? How can I strengthen these connections? Number nine, what self-care practices do I find most beneficial? 
How can I prioritize and make them regularly? And the last one, number 10, what are some positive affirmations or beliefs I want to cultivate within myself? Cultivate. How can I reinforce these beliefs in my daily life? Uh, that's it. Yeah, those are great. Um, does journaling Absolutely. help you? Yeah. Which? I Which was asking case? if journaling helps you. Is that something that you've been able to do and has it helped? It's something that I started not too long ago, so I don't have a lot of experience with it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I agree. You know, journaling, journaling helps more than you know because... When I was, uh, back years ago, when I was being bullied, uh, I journally journaled about it. And, and it was my way of documenting what happened and how I was feeling about it. And it allowed me to get so much out of my, off my chest because, I mean, back then I had no, no support. I, I had no support from the school. My, my parents, had stopped supporting me after they had done all they felt they could do. So I started journaling about it. And I would use, when I journaled, I would use the 5W method, what, who, when, why, and where. And it, it allowed Wait, you, me to keep a record. You talking about the five W method? Please. Yes. Yeah, um, he wants to I, I would always use the five W method, which was to to write about what happened, the first W, uh, where it happened, who caused it, to, who caused it to happen, and who were the bystanders when it happened, the exact date and time, and why it happened. Thanks. And if possible, how it happened. And not okay. only that it did it allow me to to get everything off my chest, but it also allowed me to keep a legal document of it in case it landed in court. Mhm. And the other the other thing I wanna say is, you know, if you have a like a template or an you know, something question, say, you know, went through the ten things, there's there's one of them that just doesn't fit. Um, like in the, the five doubles, whatever, if it doesn't, like, you don't know when it is. Don't let it, you know, put you up. Don't let, it, don't get stuck on it. And another thing I learned right. um, about um, journaling is um, I, I got a book, um, and one of the things it said about journaling is don't worry about your penmanship. Don't worry about punctuation. Don't worry about spelling words right, because a lot of us get stifled by all that, you know, stuff we learned in grammar and English and all that, just just start in what they call free flow or something like that and, and just, just start writing, you know. Just start writing whatever comes to your mind. And then another, exactly. I got a journal, 
I got a journal, and these are questions that, that you can ask yourself every day. And it starts out today's date, and you just put the date down. It says, today I feel good about. And the next one is, something new I experienced today. Next one, the latest with friends and family. Another one, today news and weather happening. Next, people who touched my life today. Um, the next, I was fortunate to receive today. The next is what I did to touch someone's life today. The last one, plan for an even better tomorrow. And then on the back of each page, it has notes and thoughts. And so, um, like I said, you know, um, you don't have to have a format. You know, you can just, if you've got an idea, like um, when I was in the, um, I was in like day treatment, it was called, and it was every day I went to this program. And we'd always start out every day with how do you feel today? How do you feel right now? And, you know, that in itself was really difficult. People would say, okay, fine, whatever. And they've got, um, if you look on Pinterest and different places, they have actual feeling sheets and feeling words. And to just be able to pick out a feeling and write about it um, can be a big step. But my therapist got me to start journaling. And at first, you know, I just wrote a little bit every day. I just wrote two or three sentences. And then it got longer and longer. And some days I wrote three pages, you know, because that's what came up. Um, practicing anything um, can be very helpful. Uh, getting it into a routine, a certain time of the day that you just sit down, even with just a notebook. It doesn't have to be some fancy journal, you know. Those ideas help. Absolutely. Um, I have to go. I'm going to. Yeah. Oh. Annie, I know that you do some writing too. Do you have anything to add to, to what we're talking about? Oh, oh, good. I was hearing some wind noise, but now it's gone. Um, I do. I write. It's called Morning Pages. Um, and it's three pages nonstop every morning. You're supposed to do it first thing when you wake up, before you have your coffee, anything. You just sit down and spill out everything that comes into your mind. And, um, and it comes from a book called The Artist's Way. It's a really famous art book. And the idea is that you can you can solve a lot of problems and get all the all the little loose ideas and and worries off your mind and onto the paper, and then you start your day with a clearer head. And I know it has really helped me come to decisions because I've been able to write down all the facets of an issue and just go into great detail. And as I do it, the answers come. They're there in my mind anyway. It just helps me make the connection. And I I totally recommend doing it that way, three pages nonstop. You don't have to do punctuation, as she said. 
just just move your hand, just keep writing, and if no words come, just write hello, 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 and a word will come. You know, just just keep going. Mm-hmm. You can write. I wish I was drinking coffee instead of writing in this journal. <laughs> I also, um, a lot of the ideas that I talk about, too, in journaling come from morning pages. And the one thing I like that Julia Cameron, one thing that they said in that book, was everybody is creative, you know. And I try to tell people that, you know. Um, people go, well, I wish I could write like you. And I say, well, hold on a minute. And I'll get a piece of paper and a pencil or pen. And I'll hand a piece of paper to them and I'll say, can you write a sentence? And they write it, you know, the cat across the road, for instance. And they, I, they hand it back to me and they go, well, you're a writer. You wrote a sentence. You're a writer. You know? Or if they want, you know, say, I wish I was an artist. I hand them a piece of paper and a pen and I say, can you draw a stick figure? And they go, well, of course. You know, and they draw it and I say, get that back to me. Let me look at it. And I'll look it over and look it over. I'll go, you're an artist. I said, you know, there's no rules in writing or being an artist, you know? We're all creative in our own ways. And when I tell people, when I talk about creativity and adult survivors of child abuse, we have very, very creative in the way that we survive child abuse and neglect. Um, Otherwise, we wouldn't have made it till today, you know? We survive in many, many creative ways, every one of us, you know, a little bit differently. And that's that's a part of creativity. Exactly. So I think a lot of people limit themselves, you know, to like like I said, with you know, people saying I'm not an artist or, you know, I'm not, you know, can't be creative, whatever. You know, um, again, it's back to art class, you know, where you had to, you know, even coloring books, color inside the lines, you know. And so, I mean, I got a color book and I got crayons. And on every single page, I colored outside the lines. <laughs> every single page. Like, I didn't want to color inside the color lines when I was little. And I changed all the colors, you know. Like, like the sky, I made orange. And... The grass I made blue, you know, I just colored all the wrong colors <laughs> as opposed to, right. you know, what is quote, supposed to be, you know, because we all right. see things a little bit differently. And why should we always make the grass green? Why should we always make the sky blue, you know, the sun yellow or whatever? Um, you know, be more. we can be more creative. We can express ourselves in many different ways. And uh, we get to we get to figure out what fits for us and what doesn't. And you don't know what's going to fit for you unless you try different things. You know, somebody said you want to go skiing, and I thought, well, that'd be fun to try. So you know, I go out there. They know how to ski, so they're hooking the skis up to my feet and this and that. And we get at the top of the hill, and I'm like, what do I do? And they showed me how to push off. Halfway down, I scream, how do I stop? And they're at the bottom. They go. They'll find out. <laughs> yeah, there was a chalet down there where people were sitting and everything. Thank God there was a snowbank because they ran straight into the snowbank. <laughs> and that's how I stopped. <laughs> but, 
I decided I never wanted to go skiing again with those people. But now my um, my granddaughter asked, wanted me to go zip lining, and I really didn't think I wanted to do that. And I said, well, your mom and Uncle Rick want to go, you know, zip lining, and I don't know about that. And, and she says, oh, Grandma, do it. And I said, I don't know, I'm kind of scared. And uh, she says, uh, just do it. And I told her what it was like when you first got up there. You hadn't done it before. Well, first of all, I was scared. And then I was terrified. I'm like, you're not helping. (laughs) But then I did, and it was wonderful. You know, I had a great time. It was just the best thing. And and she come on, do it, Grandma. And I says, well, I don't know. I'm still pretty scared. She goes, well, Grandma, we'll be there with you. And I says, yeah, but nobody's going to be there to hold my hand. Like that, you know, I just, yeah, Grandma, but I'll be on the other side waiting for you. And it's like, how could I say no? <laughs> it was just so sweet. So I went and did it, and I tell you what, it was fantastic. I screamed the whole way. There were three different stops that you went on. And the last one I got, you know, was the end. And I got off, and uh, then harnessed me and stuff. And I told the guy, I said, I just wanted to thank you for allowing me to primal scream. I really need to do that. <laughs> Whoever knows, back in the 70s, they had a therapy called primal scream, and you just screamed at the top of your lungs. Some people still do it. They just turn on their radios in their car and just scream. Because <laughs> sometimes right. it's hard to put things to words, you know. And some people right. scream into a pillow or whatever. And uh, what I was doing is getting phone books you know, of course, you know, that's the old days. But they used to uh, have recycling phone books over at the at the grocery store. So I'd go pick up about five or six of them. And when I was, you know, um, working with better women, I would give them a phone book. And I would tell them, when you get real upset, just start ripping out pages in the phone book and rip them up and crumb them up and throw them away. And that was good therapy. <laughs> And you weren't hurting anybody. Right. You know, that's always my big exactly. thing. Exactly. You know. Well, I mean, that, that, that's a way of angry. angry. Right. People well, say, that's a way of getting it out. Said, yeah, I said, you know, it's okay that I'm angry because, you know, I'm not out there beating up abusers, which I could be doing. You know, I, I'm right. angry, and that motivates me to want to protect children, to want to help survivors, you know. It's energy. And that energy can be turned into positive or negative. You can choose what you're going to do with whatever emotion. You know, we have choices today. Back when when I was a child, I didn't have choices. I didn't even know that there were choices. (laughs) Because, like you said, the abuse was about power and control. And and sexual right. abuse is about power and control. It it isn't about sex. It's about power and control. That's Having it. power over somebody that's vulnerable. Right. Yeah, that artist way, um, they have the artist way, and then they have the companion journal. And then there's there's a um, few more books that Julia Cameron has. And if you go on um, eBay, you can find them very, very cheap. Um, 
they it's been a book that's been out for a long time and uh it has helped so many people matter of fact um i was with an organization or with a group in minneapolis that was for people that had long-term mental health issues and they named their group the artist way dream cafe and they had a big room with all kinds of art supplies in it and the people that belonged to it did all kinds of art some were actors were writers, some were musicians, and writers, and just all different kinds, you know. And I'm not saying professional. I'm just saying some people like to write. Some people like to make music, you know. And we all just got together twice a week, and we kind of did our own thing and had a group that we could, you know, just come together and know people. It's to know people. And it was wonderful. And then what she did, the lady that ran the group, she would um, find things that we could enter, like contests for writing or do art shows or, you know, musicians, different things that were happening in the cities because it was in Minneapolis. And it was just a group of people that, you know, got together and just found out things that were going on that, that each of us could support each other in doing. So, like, if we'd have an art show, the people that were, you know, musicians and and uh, uh, writers and all the other stuff would come and support us, you know. So depending on what what activity there was, we'd support each other. And it was wonderful. Right. Absolutely. And now since, you know, a lot of things are online and stuff, there's a lot more things like that. There's, you know, there's a lot of things that you can, you know, look up and, you know, like portrait group um some of them charge, but but a lot of them are free, you know, or very low cost. And uh, if you if you just keep looking around for something you're interested in, you can find it, and you can find other people that are interested in in the same type of things. And there's, you know, support groups, but there's also fun activities too. You know, I think I used to get into like a rut of just. I can only do stuff like for survivors of abuse, alcoholics, you know, all these really hard issues. Never really thought about what I'd like to do for fun because that was something that was personal and made me feel good. And I was told all my life that that was greedy and that was selfish. Right. And that was a whole eye opener. <laughs> that I could, you know, do things that made me happy, that I deserved a fulfilling life, that I deserved to be happy, that I deserved, you know, to have my two dogs. <laughs> that one fuzzy. <laughs> 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 yeah, and my, my little girl is going to have puppies at the beginning of the month. I decided that I wanted to um, breed Bashan, and my little girl is pregnant. And it's going to be our first Aww. letter. Have them beginning of October. And uh, so that's a brand new experience, you know. My mom raised border collies for 35 years, you know. So I, I wasn't raised by my mom or anything. But I knew, you know, I went out to uh, live with her, which is pretty much a mistake. But um, it was a learning experience. <laughs> and... I ended up having to escape from her in 2010, which brought me back to Minnesota. I was living with her in Texas. Brought me back to Minnesota. And then a lot of things changed my life over 
you know, the last whatever years. Um, and now I have my own house and I have a yard. It's Spanish Day where my dogs can run. Um, I'm in a duplex and the lady that lives right next door is just a wonderful, wonderful woman. She's got two dogs, so if we go out of town, we've got, you know, dog care. <laughs> Child care, dog care. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I never thought that I would be living in my own home, ever. I hear dogs. <laughs> I hear dogs. What dog is that? That's my dog. This is Annie. Oh, Annie, yeah. You've got a darling. What kind of dog is yours? Mine is a Chihuahua. Okay. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. a little tiny dog. Mm-hmm. How cute. Do you have any animals or dogs? My dogs are barking outside. I don't know if you can hear them or not. I can hear them loud and clear, but I don't know if you guys can hear them or not. No, I can hear them. No? Oh, good. They're outside because they're loud. What kind of dogs? I mean, they will. I have a male Pomeranian, and I also have a male... uh, it's, he's a cross between a beagle and a dachshund. Oh, okay. <laughs> cute! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I had two Pomeranians that were my service animals, and I ended up with getting uh, pneumonia that turned into sepsis, and I ended up in a in uh, the hospital and then a nursing home, and I lost my two little boys. And uh, the guy that took them said that I could visit them. And the day I dropped him off was the last day I ever saw him. So I was devastated for the longest time. And then I got my, I finally decided about five years later to get another service dog. And I ended up getting uh, my little boy, Marshmallow. And I've had him for two and a half years. And I had to fight the assisted living I was in. And uh, right now I'm... um, working on doing a lawsuit against them, which is a lot of work because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, just do a lawsuit, whatever. But I am, like, reliving all the trauma that I had to go through while I was in that assisted living. It's not easy. In many days, I just think I'm not going to do it because um, reliving, like I said, reliving that trauma. And it was a lot. Right. Every day was something new. Matter of fact, I was suicidal like five times. And the last time I put on Facebook, I was giving away all my stuff. Never do that if your daughter's a director of a dual dependency program. She writes back, Mom, are you okay? I'm worried about you. And I went, oh, no. And so I just took it off Facebook, you know, because you could delete stuff. Like, that'll make it go away. (laughs) Yeah. So my kids tried to get me hold of me for like three days, and I finally answered their messenger thing where you could see each other and uh, wouldn't turn on my camera. And uh, my son said, Mom, I'm thinking about investing a property in Minnesota. Do you think you could live with Dad? Well, we hadn't been together in years, but we've always been friends. And uh, anyway, I had to think a few minutes, and I said, Yeah, I guess we could live with Dad. And uh, 
So he ended up getting us a house. And like I said, you know, I never would have dreamed that I'd ever have a house. So I called him up after a month and I said, Rick, I've never felt better physically, emotionally, or spiritually. He goes, because you're living in a house? And I says, it's more than that. I said, I have stability. Something I have never, ever had in my whole life. If I end up sick or in the mental hospital, I know that I'm not going to lose my house. And I've always, I mean, if they kicked me out of the last place, it would have been my 20th time homeless. They tried to kick me out over my service dog. And, right. and to just have that stability, you know, is just unbelievable. And to have food and roof over my head. And, you know, it's just, just, I'm just grateful for every day. I've got a meditation area in my yard and, you know, I mean, I can, you know, like I said, I have a life I could never imagine. Plus, I'm sober now. Had I not been sober or I was taking care of my mental health, my son wouldn't have trusted me with moving into the house. And so, you know, I did a lot of work to get to where I'm at, too. It wasn't just, you know, I'm having a shitty life and my son got up and got me a house. I mean, both my kids have seen how much I've grown. Right. And he's in a position where he could help me out. You know, not everybody's in that position. And, you know, for me, it's very important to be grateful. I mean, even when I was homeless, I can remember being able to duck behind a building for like five minutes to get out of the wind I was grateful for, you know. And But the other part of that was I couldn't stand there too long because I didn't even have a dollar in my pocket and I could have been arrested for vagrancy for hanging out in some place too long, you know. And so right. I was always scared. But I'd find moments of peace. I'd find moments of serenity. I'd find moments of gratefulness. And, you know, people are like, how can you be out here with, this much sobriety because now I got 37 years and that was, you know, back in 2010 I was out in Houston and, you know, I was sober and people couldn't believe that I stayed sober. And I said, you know, um, drinking never made any better. Almost, and matter of fact, it always made things worse for doing drugs, you know. Right. And I know that because I play the tape all the way through. <laughs> And I know I never want that life again. Well, blame you. And there's still rough days, you know, and there's still... But, you know, I used to have rough weeks and months, and most of the time now I have rough moments. And one of the things I keep telling myself is, I can start the day over any time I want. You know? That's right. Because it's morning somewhere in the world. <laughs> That's right. You know, and I think time is, just, time is just something that people created, you know, really. In the beginning, there really wasn't, you know, there were not clocks. People, you know, did what they did. If they were tired, they slept. <laughs> they, you know, worked during the light hours or whatever, because that made sense. <laughs> right. And, you know, I think our body, you know, like um, a lot of people say, 
and I'm bipolar or have bipolar disorder, you know, I'm diagnosed with that or something. But, you know, like I told my psychiatrist, I said, when I have energy and I'm in doing a project, you know, I, I do it. And then when I'm done, if I get tired, I just lay down and rest. I don't have to go to work. I don't have a, quote, job. And so I don't have to live in, you know, I don't even really keep track of the time. The only thing I do is I set my alarm for, like, the radio show um, to take my meds, you know, things that I do need the time for. So I'm grateful that there are, you know, like, alarms on my phone (laughs) so I don't have to keep track of the time if I want to get involved in a project or do something, you know, go on take a nap during the day I can, you know. Um, exactly. But I just, I kind of go with what feels right and uh, am more in touch with myself, you know. I mean, I would go and I would, you know, be really, really sick and stuff and not go tell the doctor till I was really sick, you know. Um, it mm-hmm. took a lot longer to heal because I wasn't in touch with my body. I was totally right. disassociated, you know. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things I can be grateful for that, you know, some people just take for granted. <laughs> exactly. And I would have never thought that I could, you know, do a blog talk radio show or, or talk about my abuse, you know. Um, I hear other people telling their stories or talking about their abuse and I go, boy, I wish I could do that. Or maybe someday I can do that, you know. I think the biggest part of everything is just hope. You know, when I got into AA, I was hopeless. I was a hopeless alcoholic, and I didn't think I could ever get any sobriety. And even a week was like a miracle for me. And uh, now i got 37 years. But instead of saying I have 37 years, I went and Googled how many seconds that was because I say all I've got is one moment at a time. And say they call it the present because it's a gift from our higher power. Every moment we get to decide what to do with that gift. And I tell people that at meetings and stuff, I say, you know, just think of all the choices you made to make it to this meeting. You know, you decided what to wear. You decided what time you're going to the meeting. You got in your car or you called somebody to get you to the meeting or whatever you did. And, you know, there's people that sit, do all that and sit in the parking lot and can't even come through the doors. I said, anybody that's in this meeting today is a miracle. Because it's normal for an alcoholic to drink and it's abnormal for us not to drink. <laughs> Right. So, you know, we're all making choices, you know, whether, um, you know, we want to change a behavior or some pattern that we're doing. You know, like I said, you know, I keep reminding myself when I was a kid, I didn't have choices and today I do. And there's so much information out there that you want to learn how to do something or you want to find out, you know, what is gaslighting or what is domestic abuse or what is child abuse. Um, you can find that information now. Like my kids are like, Absolutely. Mom, just Google it. You know, just Google it, Mom. And we're, we've got, you know, a dog that that's pregnant. I've never, I've had dogs all my life, but I never had a dog that was pregnant. So, 
you know, my former husband and I are Googling all kinds of stuff, <laughs> you know, questions we have. <laughs> and before my kids would say, Mom, you know, they'd ask me a question and I'd say, okay, next Tuesday, let's go to the library and find out, you know. <laughs> we have to plan to go to the library to find a book, <laughs> to find out. <laughs> sometimes you'd have to look for through several books, and sometimes you just didn't find the answer. <laughs> now you can just Google it. <laughs> Why? Well, some things are good, you know, but there's always going to be some negatives along with it, you know. But. Well, I always try to find the good. And that doesn't mean to ignore, you know, because everybody's like, well, we just be happy, you know, and just stop focusing on the negative or whatever. You know, I'm not saying that everything is cheery and all that, um, you know, but to acknowledge that there are rough times, but um, try to make some good times with them. That's right. Yeah. So you want to let us know what the names of your books are and how we can find you or how we can find more information about what you're doing, what you've done? Sure, I can do that. Um, All of my books are on Amazon. Uh, My first book is From Victim to Victor, A Survivor's True Story of Her Experiences with School Bullying. And that is a chronological account of the bullying that I suffered in in school from sixth grade until I um, switched schools during my senior year. And then uh, the other three books are fictions, but they all have the theme of bullying in them. And uh, um, the second book is a fiction. As I said, it's uh, Townies, Cronies, and Hayseeds. And that's also on Amazon. Uh, then I have The Vow of Chastity Baker, um, which is about a, uh, well, first, I didn't, I didn't tell you what Townies, Cronies, and Hayseeds was about. Uh, it's about a, a, an author who was bullied in school, and she survived it by moving away. And she comes back to the town she was bullied in, only to find out that her bullies are now the people who run the town. Uh, Then there's uh, The Vow of Chastity Baker, which is my third book. And this is about a a woman that starts out as a teenage prostitute and uh, something uh, really bad happens to her and she finally decides to get out of of the profession, so to speak. But... uh, then she has uh, an angry pimp after her for leaving the business, and uh, she faces all kinds of obstacles, including bullying, when she runs into people who know her past. Uh, then the fourth book is called uh, "Kids Under the Latch Key," and this is a book of uh, this is a fiction book uh, told in a first-person narrative. Uh, by a bystander of bullying, a, bull, a, a person who takes a guy who's being bullied because he is mentally disabled, she takes him under her wing, and she and her friends, you know, do what they can to make him feel 
accepted. And you can find all of these books on Amazon. You can also reach me. Uh, I, I have a blog. It's called, uh, you can re- get that at www.authorsheriewhite.com. And you can go to my blog and uh, find all kinds of, of good information about bullying and how to empower yourself. And you can also reach me on Facebook. Okay. Now we have, um, on all the shows, we have links uh, to our guests. And if you click on the link, uh, you can go to uh, Cherie's page on uh, Facebook as well. And uh, then also for uh, NASCA, um, if you'd like to reach any of us, um, I'm the Minnesota ambassador for NASCA, and we have ambassadors um, throughout the states and also uh, the world now. And uh, if you can't find anybody in your state, you're welcome to call anybody that's on that list. And uh, Bill Murray, the founder, is on there as well. And uh, we all have our contact information. And uh, we're opening up phone calls if uh, people want to get a hold of us. Um, we're available. Um, like I said, we got a lot of resources, and uh, we really uh, hope that everybody knows that, you know, for me, it's very important to know that I wasn't alone, and I didn't ever have to be alone again, because there are a lot of survivors out there now that are speaking out, and like Shuri was saying, there's books out there on all types of abuse, and, and we can educate ourselves in many, many different ways, find support in many different ways. And that every single one of us deserves to have support and to realize what we went through was horrible. And we don't need to compare one story over the other um, or diminish our own story by saying, well, my story wasn't as bad as yours because all abuse of children is not okay. And none of it should have ever happened. And uh, in, in whatever forms, um, um, abuse happens, um, it, it's just not okay. And uh, we encourage anybody that's a survivor of child abuse or neglect um, to contact us. And if you'd like, you can come on and tell your story. And if you're a professional now um, and would like to come on as a guest, um, just contact any one of us and uh, we'll get you on the schedule. There is a schedule that you could look on the website, and if something isn't booked, uh, you can pick a date and uh, join us. We don't have much time left. Um, uh, Cherie, do you have anything you want to add before we close out the show? Well, I've, um, one thing I want to say is that, you know, in order to be empowered, you have to have knowledge. With knowledge mm-hmm. always comes empowerment. And if if we have the knowledge of bullies, uh, their mindsets, uh, their tactics, why they bully people, then we are more likely to, you know, keep our confidence intact and our mental health intact. I just wanted to put that out there. Definitely, definitely. And uh, all forms of abuse that um, we suffered as children, uh, 
we could bring in our right. present life. And so when things get uncomfortable enough, I think that's when people decide to make changes. And we've got exactly. 90 seconds left. I'm going to um, read uh, the, serenity, the other serenity prayer, which is, please grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly, the courage to forgive myself because I always try my best, and the wisdom to know that I am a good person with a kind heart. And thank you, everybody, for coming to the show. And all these shows are um, archived and recorded. And this is scan number 3272. We hope that other people uh, join us in uh, our future shows. So thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you on the radio soon. Okay, bye. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Good night. Thanks, everyone. Cause that's gonna